you're, I hate to say it, but you're surviving and then you're coming back to do it all over again. And it is, it, it's very hard, very hard. I mean, it's hard on us guys in the control room, but I think the guys on the road, it's much harder for them. That's Lucy Goff, Emergency Medical Dispatcher in the world's busiest ambulance service. And this is the Restore Podcast. So welcome to the Restore Podcast. In these series of episodes, what I thought would be really engaging would be to do a number of episodes on the pandemic in focus. So been as we're in the, the throes of the second and worst wave of, of COVID-19, I thought what would be really powerful is to bring you first-hand accounts from people who are dealing with the pandemic from a healthcare perspective. So in the next four episodes, we will document uh, interviews with um, an emergency medical dispatcher, um, an advanced paramedic practitioner, with a GP, and with a senior charge nurse as well. And what I really want to do is give you these first-hand accounts from what it's like to be at the coalface on the front line of, of healthcare. Um, bear in mind, these accounts are going to be within the UK. Um, so it is sort of siloed to, to a UK perspective, but never, nevertheless, they've got fantastic insights. Uh, so we've got a real spread of accounts uh, for you in these up, up and coming episodes. We're going to kick off with uh, Lucy Goff. Lucy is an emergency medical dispatcher working in London. I've had the privilege of knowing Lucy for 14 years. And so in this episode, we really dig into what it's been like from her perspective in the emergency operations room or the control room and just how she safeguarded her mental health, but also some of the the realities she's seen on a day to day of both patients suffering from from physical and mental health problems within COVID and how it's taken its toll on the staff. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. There'll be three more to follow and a real cross section of uh, of healthcare professionals on the front line. Good morning, Owen. Um, I'm Lucy Goff. Um, I, um, I'm an emergency response dispatcher. Um, I've been um, doing the job now for 14 years. Um, I have um, three children that are all grown up, which is very helpful, um, and two lovely granddaughters, which, um, which are great. Um, very good distraction sometimes. Fantastic. So that's so you're an emergency response dispatcher uh, working in London. I know we've done a lot of work together in the past. Yeah. Um, so Lucy, what I just wanted to do really is get a few perspectives, really. So this session is the pandemic in focus. Yeah. And what, what I'd like to do is just kick off really and ask you around sort of from your perspective, seeing the demand profile lucy sort of day to day or night to night of the second wave of the of the pandemic how quickly in your mind has has the demand profile escalated um i think it's escalated very quickly um if i'm if i'm totally honest with you um seeing the call rate um jump quite as high as it has i mean at times you're you're looking at your your screens and um, your computer screens and whereas before you're used to sort of just having a few calls we're talking um, over a page and a half of calls of the 
that I'm holding at any one time on a sector of London. Um, and it's very hard, very, very hard. Yeah, and, and we were just talking before around how maybe this then signals that actually typifies this new variant of, of potentially of COVID that, that has yeah. spread incrementally and, and quite, quite quickly. But we're starting to inadvertently see, and correct me if I'm wrong, see it really affect um, a large majority of the elderly population or, or com with comorbidities. Is, from your perspective, is that what you're seeing from, from your perspective? I would, I would say my personal um, view, this second wave, it's actually been younger people. Um, I would say from sort of 20s to 50s. Um, the 50s and over, yes, there are still the, the calls, but I would say a lot of the majority are the younger, healthy people you know, that, that don't have any um, underlying health conditions um, that are fit and it's hitting them and, it, and it's hitting them very hard, very hard. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So just looking for a second at the uh, at mental health um, of both, maybe both yourself and your colleagues within the control room, because with a, with such a, a, a spike in demand profile, there's there's multiple facets and multiple sort of stresses. How have you, if if you don't mind me asking, is how have you dealt with? Has it impinged on your own mental health and also your colleagues? And how have you and or or they dealt with it um, in the same um, way? I've, I've sort of, because I've been there quite a long time now, I, I've, I've learned that I can only do so much with what I'm given. And I used to go home and I used to think about different calls and, you know, or maybe if I'd have done this, maybe if I'd have done that. But now my, my strategy is I leave the room and that's it. I try not to take my, my work home with me anymore. Um, you know, we, the colleagues, we, we do speak and, oh, you know, I've got this call or blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's been that busy. We've not had chance to, to talk and, and release, shall we say, release stress. Um, I will say one thing. I, I, was, um, I was on a break recently, uh, went to make myself my cup of coffee and got talking to uh, the mental health nurse, funny enough, one of the mental health nurses that I know because um, I went out on an observation shift with them and there was a young paramedic there um, I don't know him I've never met him before and we were just sort of having a general chit chat about mental health and what have you and he's he was 30 years old and he actually said to me which made me feel really sad he said I actually feel really broken and that that was really I know we, we did have a sort of a conversation I didn't want to just leave it there and walk away from somebody that was was opening up um and in my role within the service I'm I'm a link worker as well so um what is, what is link for those that listening that might not know what link is um so a link worker is um somebody a member of staff whether we're in the control room out on the road management there's there's quite a lot of um a lot of us and it's basically listening two members of staff um, about anything, any issues, any problems, mental health, you know, a bad call that they took, but I'm there to listen. Um, you know, I'm not there to pass judgment or to fix anybody as I always wanted to do, but 
it's to listen and help and guide um and unfortunately there's not many within EOC now um within the control room um which I find quite sad um but yeah so I was just listening to this young paramedic telling me you know how he's felt how how it hard it's been on them um because it's it's literally been relentless and you know when you do have a couple of days off you are literally sleeping eating you're I hate to say it but you're surviving and then you're coming back to do it all over again and it is it it's very hard very hard. I mean it's hard on us guys in the control room but I think the guys on the road it's much harder for them much harder. I was just about to ask you actually Lucy around around that because your role is is unique within the control room because you're both dispatching on calls but also speaking to crews um uh, just intermittently between calls and maybe even at mm. hospital or on scene and yeah. have you seen so that's that's a great sort of snippet of maybe how you've seen stress shift towards the frontline staff as well have you seen evidence of that in the day-to-day interaction with crews over the radio does does that come across at all yeah I think um not so much when um when I've spoken to them when they're going to a call or if they're on a call I found it's when they're at hospitals we've noted massive massive hospital delays um, even to the degree where crews have got to the hospital, they've got a patient on the back, which they can't take out because there's no room anywhere for them within the hospitals. Um, and their x-ray, their, their, their shift has finished. Um, and unfortunately, we've not had the, the cohorts where we've been able to support the crews that have the are x-ray for somebody to look after their patient because there's no room for, for this to happen. Um, they want to go home they're tired they've done their time and I find you know I can sympathize with them and I'm I'm one of these people I I'm not blowing my own trumpet but I have a very good rapport with crews um and I always have done and basically my job is as much to send out the calls but my job is to support them and look after them and they look after the patients so I will always and but there's literally nothing that I've been able to do. I can't magic another ambulance from anywhere, um, change over of shift. That that ambulance has been assigned to a night turn or a day turn, but we can't get get them there. So it's and because you're holding so many calls of sick patients, it's what do I do? Do I let that night turn go home or do I do I send the this ambulance to this call? It's it's, it's really been a very big juggling juggling game and I do sympathize with the with the guys um, I've, I've actually recently had an excellence report from a crew that were x-ray that came across a patient um, just in the middle of the road and we managed to between us get it all sorted out and they could go home so you know from that point of view it's it was a good outcome but um, yeah it's very frustrating. <laughs> Little things like that just really make a big difference on the back of a 12-hour shift, like you said, just yeah. being able to help crews, just, uh, you know, ambulance, paramedic crews or uh, tech crews, just just to, to just those, that we are often found it's the little uh, notions of care yeah. or of of help which which made yeah. me you know, a massive deal when people are under this incremental stress. Yeah. Lucy, just to your, just, just to your answer actually, 
and to what you were just just talking about about um have you um have you have you sort of noticed an increase in mental health cause at all or mental health yes um within within the pandemic because we know there's this silent pandemic of mental health on the back of, yeah. of the covid but be, uh, uh, pandemic because of you know isolating uh because yeah. of lack of community lack of interaction um so have you incrementally seen those those cause rise yes very much so um and it's it's not even, um, shall we say, the regulars that the LAS have, you know, we have our regular callers, um, but these are new callers. Um, and again, a, a lot of them are quite young, um, even to the degree of children. We've had children, um, which is actually quite scary, you know, 12 and 14 year olds um, self-harm and, and taking tablets. Um, and it, it, it's hard, it's very hard because again, you've got, um, we have a mental health nurse that goes out with a paramedic um, covering areas, which are a fantastic resource, I have to say. Um, and they do pick up, obviously they can only do one call at a time. And sometimes if you're sitting there with five or six calls, it's, you know, which call do you give them? Um, and you you learn to know which calls to give them um, and which calls will have to go into hospital as in you know people that have taken an overdose because of the tox toxicity of the the overdose we know that that's got to go in um, but yeah there is um, a, it, it, it's really quite sad actually looking looking at the calls so just to pivot slightly, Lucy, and look at sort of the cumulative stress within colleagues, just just to return to, to that question. Um, are there any, have you seen either as a link worker uh, or, or, or otherwise, any sort of what the warning signs would be? So anyone listening to this, just that they could maybe identify with or or, or, or link with the, the signs of cumulative stress, either physical, behavioral or emotional, just are the things that you can articulate i.e are people starting to vent more or smoke more or can, is there anything you're observing from from staff that that sh is showing this cumulative stress i think i think within the within the control room um you notice um it's not as loud as normal um you know it, it's it's fairly quiet um and it's because your concentration is literally on your calls you get a green ambulance somebody will ask you for it. you can guarantee somebody will ask you for them and it's well hang on a minute i've got a cat too that's this old and they've got this patient that's this and and it's that can be a little bit awkward at times because you know we're all holding calls we're all in the same position and it, it, it's sort of juggling one ambulance, who, who gets it? And it can get a little bit narky and, you know, a bit argumentative at times, but it doesn't go any further. We've, you know, we're, we're in the room, we're doing the job. I've noticed outside people are very quiet. Um, a lot of people are on their own. 
um, we've got little areas now, little pods that people can go and sit in and you can see they've got their ear, ear pods in and they might be watching a, a programme or, you know, just listening to music. Um, smoking wise, yes, I have seen more people um, that had, shall we say, given up smoking, some of them are, but they only do it at work. So when they're away from work, they don't they don't need that and I think they just find it's a little bit of a stress release plus I hate to say it but smoking's always been quite a social a social you know a social thing and <clears throat> there is an area where the smokers will stand and I think that actually does help people because we can vent to each other oh you know oh my goodness and you know um but just talk about normal life as well and, and it, it's really funny because a lot of the new call takers or the new staff, they're all, oh, did this call, that call. But when you're on that break, you don't always want to talk about that. You want to talk about life and, you know, silly things. Oh, I bought myself a new coat the other day and you're away from the room. So you have that mental break from there. Which I think is absolutely important. So yeah. just just uh, pivoting slightly, actually, Lucy, and looking at the, how the press has covered the um, the uh, pandemic. Do, do, mm. do you think that sort of press press coverage has sort of fostered more awareness, or or maybe slightly heightened the sense of panic in people? Um, I think following on from the first wave, um, this with the sec this second wave people's in, in my opinion people's attitudes are well I've, I've got coronavirus I need to go to hospital and my my question is why do you need to go to hospital and I think it's because their their mentality is they're looking at it from the first wave and only seeing the sick people at hospital you know on the ventilators and everything that I think there's panic that that is going to be them um, so they feel that they need to go to hospital. Um, I had a, I did have a call recently um, with a lady and she said, but I don't want my husband to go to hospital. Um, but the doctor had said he needed to go to get a chest x-ray, but I don't want him to go because I don't want to put him into that, that danger, you know. Um, and I think the press, we only see the real sick, sick patients, which, yes, I think we should but we should also see the others you know the ones that are coping with it at home um which i know there's there's lots lots and lots so yeah absolutely absolutely so just something we knew were speaking about um lucy before we started recording was that the whole system within the nhs is interlinked so the gp service you know is interlinked with the 999 service which is obviously interlinked with primary care and and the hospital service so mm. when the gps get busy we know people call for more ambulances and and for mm. when the ambulance service gets busy we we, we consequently off uh, taking a lot more patients sick patients to the hospital and when when the, when the hospital gets log jammed that really impacts on, on you directly as, a, as an emergency medical dispatcher because yeah. you, you can't there's not the resources which are released to no. to go see other patients so some people that might see lots of ambulances at hospital think well there's plenty of ambulances but maybe don't realize there's, there's actually a log jam in hospital where there's not the yeah. bed space and yeah. also the throughput in hospital how is how is how is that interlinkage impacted on you 
Um, I mean, it's been very hard. We've we've also got the one one one. Um, we've also got um, 119, uh, which is a COVID, a COVID line. Um, and that's been very hard because we've been passed a lot of calls from them as well. Um, and I know, like us, that 111 have a, you know, they have their questions that they have to ask. Um, and a lot of people with COVID, you know, they're getting the chest pains and what have you. So we are receiving a high demand from them. Um, and the GPs are saying to the, the patients, well, look, if you don't feel any better, ring 999. It's not a case of if you can make your own way to hospital rather than putting the pressure onto us. Um, because, I mean, I went past Croydon University the other day. I had my first vaccine. I've had my vaccine. And A&E was absolutely, there was probably about six or seven ambulances outside. And... I couldn't see actually in, but there are a lot of people milling around outside the the, uh, the A&E department. Um, and all the crews were gowned up and, and, and everything. And you know um, that they're gonna be there for a while, which then it just has further impact on the rest of the day, shall we say, um, because you know they're gonna be delayed. And, it, and then you get more calls coming in from GPs and from 111 and, it, and it's just, yeah it can be very frustrating at times very frustrating very difficult yeah because yeah. The, the aggregation of of of, of feeder services really that like, say yeah. direct demand to the to, to the ambulance service which which otherwise isn't picked up necessarily by the press but there's, there's no. all the demand from the police as well yeah and from other 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 co sort of stakeholders um yeah. absolutely so um lucy just to sort of drill in and focus slightly on um just so i i'm acutely aware that you've had your own battles with health with physical health in 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 in, in the past how yeah. have you optimized your approach to mental and physical health because it's been it's been really difficult for you as a person as well mm -hmm. is there any practices that you've adhered to to really try and optimize what's been a really difficult road for you um like I said to you previously, I try, I've learnt um, now, I've taught myself, shall I say, um, to not take my work home with me. Um, my grandchildren are a massive distraction. Um, you know, I spend quite a, well, we live together, so I spend a lot of time with my grandchildren. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I have had a lot of problems, um, as you're you're fully aware of it, um, and I'm still dealing with currently. But it's really weird that when I'm in the control room, I don't think about myself as much. I'm thinking about my crews. I'm thinking about my patients. I'm thinking about my colleagues. Um, my diet when I'm in work is rubbish. I will totally admit it um, because because I'm a bit, I'm, because of what I, my issues are, I've got a, a colostomy because I had cancer nine years ago, well, nearly 10 years ago now. And I have to be very careful what foods that I eat. And I don't tend to eat big meals because it, sitting for 12 hour shifts, it's not very comfortable. So I tend to graze um, and drink plenty of fluids. Um, and I just forget about myself 
for that tw those 12 hours um it, it's an awful thing to say but my daughter when I get home she's always had a bath run for me there's a, a drink there waiting for me not alcoholic a cup of coffee or you know um I'm not I'm not one of these people that will go home and say oh I need a glass of wine I, I'm not a I'm not a drinker and especially if I know I've got to get up at half past four the next morning for another shift so you know and and my daughter will make sure I've got my food and and she does me a packed lunch and and you know there'll be lots of different things in there for me there'll be um the fruit bars neutral grain bars um there'll be a sandwich or there'll be a pot of pasta and you know like you do we used to have a li our little pet lunch bag and you'd, you'd graze through the day um so it, it, it is important with your food i know it is um but when you're on shift it's just you know i just graze i'm, I'm one of these Lisa, that's, that's fantastic. So, so just uh, um, an extension of that theme, Lucy. Any any mm. paramedic, doctor, nurse, physiotherapist, any healthcare worker listening to the podcast right now, because self care is a real theme, not only of the podcast but really of the of the last five or ten years. Really, yeah. I mean, it's been it's always been a theme because unless you're you're optimizing, we're optimizing our own health. It's really hard to take care of other people. Is is yes. there anything you would say? to a paramedic doctor nurse physiotherapist or otherwise or gp that might be struggling right now um, from a self-care perspective that any 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 good practices that that you i mean you've notion towards family which i think is fantastic and towards mm. nutrition um yeah. is there anything you sort of like to say to them um i think i mean obviously we're we're all in it together which we are everybody's you know we've all got a very hard job at the moment very very hard um, I think when you do have that downtime, make sure you have you time to, to get yourself back. Um, you know, whether it's your exercising, um, I know at the moment because we're in tier four, the, the exercise part of things is, is very difficult, but just to have that hour's walk to, to clear your head. Um, I mean, I know I've done it myself when I've been at work, and I've done it with you, Owen, you know, we've had a break and we've gone for a walk around the block. And it just, it's amazing how that just that short five, 10 minutes, it's quite invigorating. And it just, you know, the fresh air and, and it does massively help, but also spend time with your loved ones as well, with your family, um, because they, as much as they understand what's happening, um, they, they don't know the full we don't always give the full facts of, of what's going on we'll you know skirt around the outside but never give the full what we're, we're dealing with so but spend time with your family look after yourself a bit of me time that exercise make sure you sleep sleep so sleep is a massive in my opinion it's a massive thing and I think you need good quality sleep um, because then that makes you feel better Listen, I think those are all fantastic points, Lucy. And 
I just think they are, they're the pillars really of self-care, sleep, nutrition, family time, downtime, you time. That's a fantastic one. Just, you know, it's not even just downtime, it's you time, time to, time to put the noise away, time to put the, you know, almost the mobile phones away, the notifications away, and just get, if you can get out into nature or indeed exercise, whereby you can just have a bit of of you time. I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So Lucy, just, just, just coming into land slightly on the conversation, um, yeah. in your mind, are, are there any unintended positive aspects of, of, of the pandemic that the pandemic's brought about? Any unintended positive aspects? Um, not that I can sort of like overly think of. Um, I mean, we're, as a, as a as a watch, there's there's five different watches within, within um, the control room. And I think as as a group we all we're actually pulling together more we're supporting each other more um we have a tea trolley that comes around which is amazing and just that not having to get up and go and make yourself a cup of coffee somebody will come and do it and you know we've all been putting like biscuits or treats you know so that when this tea trolley comes around we all know we're going to get a treat which something so small goes a very long way um it's a you know a massive thing for people um to have that that drink and a little treat and it just perks you up it just you know makes you feel um I say wanted but you know someone's looking after you and I, and I think sometimes in the control room we can feel we're not being looked after and I think that's made us pull together more as a team to look out for each other, to support each other. Listen, I really, just having worked with you over the past 14 years, really, I, I just really honour you for, for for what is not only now a really difficult role, but, but it's always been a difficult role, really, and fundamentally yeah. balancing demand and supply uh, within an emergency situation is it, it's never been an easy role but my but my thanks goes out to you just for engaging with me now but also something you said as well which is um that you, you the 999 call takers the people taking the calls which you have to do as well as part of the role and and, and covering breaks um my my sort of heart and my mind go out go out to those people as well because it's a, it's absolutely so difficult to be mm. it's probably one of the most difficult jobs within the control room actually taking the 999 course instilling that sense of calm de-escalating yeah. the people calling for a, for an ambulance to, to 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 get the right information out of them yeah. could you maybe sort of finally speak to speak to that role and how difficult that role is so um when you uh, when you start with the um with the service as a call taker you do your five weeks training in the classroom and then you go um into the control and you have a work-based trainer with you and i i always remember when i very first started and um there was a lovely call taking manager pete and he said to us fantastic you've done really well he said but today is when you start learning And it's when you're doing the job for real. And, you know, I remember the first cardiac arrest call that I that I took. It was for a child. Um, I remember some of the the funny calls, shall we say. Um, But you sit there and now the way the world is at the moment and with the crisis and the, the pandemic that we're going through, 
you sit there and and I'm actually quite nervous about what call I'm going to take um and you you can hear people beside you um really you really have to take control of a call because everybody's emergency is different and you know somebody that's cut their finger to somebody that's got that's having a stroke they can all react very differently because it's their emergency so you have to take control of that call and you know to calm the person down be empathetic you know um get them in a way get them on your side get them to listen you know um the the opening questions are is the patient breathing is the patient awake and you know if they yes and yes it's like oh a bit of a relief and and then you find out you know tell me exactly what's happened and sometimes people will go on and tell you what happened last week last month no tell me why you're ringing for an, uh, an emergency ambulance now oh okay well I've, I've hurt my hand oh okay so it's not you know you, you sound silly but you relax a little bit it's when you get that is the patient breathing no is the patient awake no right that's it you, your adrenaline it kicks in you know what you need to do you need to get that address you need to get a telephone number in case we get cut off you need to confirm the address because there could be a slight little difference. They could say to you 21 High Street when actually it's 21A High Street or 21B. That little mistake could waste so much valuable time for you guys on the road because they're going to 21 when actually the emergency is at 21A, which is a little bit further down. That's valuable time, valuable time, in a, especially in a cardiac arrest um you know and we're there to help you or to help the caller till you get there till the, the crew whether it's an ambulance crew whether it's a first responder that we may well send um we may send a bike um we may send um a fast response car just for somebody on their own so there we know while we're on that phone and on that call, we are helping that person till you guys get there. And we can go through CPR with you. We can give you the right instructions and delivering babies. You know, we, we know how to do it. <laughs> it's, you're right. It's a one-stop shop, really. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and probably the most stressful job in the ambulance service, uh, bar none. Lucy, I just want to extend my thanks, really, just not only for the friendship we've had over the yeah, past 14 yeah. years, but but also just just engaging and being really honest um, in this yeah. interview, because I just I think what it will do is it really helps just unpack um, what it is, what, what life looks like in this pandemic from your eyes. Mm. Totally. Yeah, totally. Thank And thank you. You've been a, you're a, you're a lovely guy and a lovely friend. And, you know, we've had our little walks around the block, which you know, something so small means so much. And, you know, I know you're a, you're a good friend, very good friend. <laughs>